If you have your note sheets, you'll notice that we're going to be looking at a text in the book of Judges. And this is a text that's been particularly impactful in my own life and one that I hope will be very impactful in yours. So open with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And as you're turning there, I want to kind of give us a quick background because we're parachuting into a um, kind of a complicated part of the Old Testament. You see, God's people had been delivered from Egypt with the mighty hand with the ten plagues of Egypt, and they'd been given a covenant at Sinai. But the people of Israel sinned in the wilderness, and then after they'd been allowed to cross the Jordan River into the land of Israel, they sinned again and failed to conquer the land that God had promised to give them. And so that's recorded for us in chapter 1 and 2 of Judges. And so when we get to chapter 3, we're entering into the part of Judges that starts to give us a profile of a few deliverers that God has raised up to save his people. And this morning we're going to be looking at the first judge. His name is Othniel. And so let's read the text. Judges chapter 3 we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. Thus says the word of the Lord. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of Kishon Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Kishon Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel to save them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord gave Kishan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Kishan Rishathaim. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for PBC and the opportunity we have to gather here together to study your word. Lord, be glorified in this time, both as I speak and as PBC church family hears. Lord, just Help this worship we do now, the hearing of the word and the worship we'll do after, to be truly one that is faithful. That is what our text is all about this morning. Lord, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go through our lives, we undoubtedly encounter or maybe are even haunted by the question, was I faithful? Was I faithful? Jill, a mother of three, all outside the home, two of them no longer walk with the Lord. In fact, they've gone into the ways of this world. Was she a faithful mother? George, he's a student in high school. He studied hard for that one big test and still he got a D. Some of us might relate. Was George faithful? 
Jennifer shared the gospel with her coworkers, but she stumbled through most of it and she forgot the verse references and didn't do a, a job that she would have thought was best. Was Jennifer faithful? I'm sure we all have situations like that in our lives and we ask the question, was I faithful? Well, it's my hope this morning that this text will answer that very question. The title for this morning's message is Faithfulness Focuses on God. And we're going to see today three paths that demonstrate the focus of faithfulness so that we can know the answer to that all-important question, was I faithful? So let's get into the text. The first path that demonstrates a focus of faithfulness is a willful rejection of faithfulness. Look with me at verse seven. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Some of us might kind of understand the concept of evil, at least I hope you do. But simply put, evil is anything that's contrary to God's standard. Ultimately, that is what sin is. And that's made clear in the next phrase because the evil is done in the sight of who? The Lord. That word Lord there in all caps, you might know, that refers to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so what the people of Israel are doing is they have seen this covenant God and they have chosen to do what is contrary to that covenant. But we have to ask how. How have they done evil in the sight of the Lord? The text is going to answer that for us, kind of with two steps of, of the descent into a willful rejection of faithfulness. That's in the second part of verse 7. It says this, they forgot the Lord, their, uh, they forgot the Lord their God. Now, the word forget can kind of sometimes mean in our, our vocabulary like an absent-mindedness, like, oh, I left the stove on or... I left my wallet at the office. But this is not that kind of forgetting. No, this is a willful act of renouncing, a choosing to reject that which you know to be true for something else, to put something else in your mind. I'm sure many of us have maybe experienced this. Those of you who are parents definitely have with your kids. You say, don't eat another cookie. And then you turn your back and you get back to washing the dishes and they look at you and look at the cookie jar and look at you and look at the cookie jar and kind of inch and then kind of inch. And then their, their hands going in the cookie jar. What, what are they doing? They have chosen to forget, to renounce what you have said and instead replace it with what they want. That's exactly what Israel is doing here. They had the law, the law that described who God was, showed them his character, showed them his worthiness to be worshipped, and yet they willingly chose to descend into a willful rejection of faithfulness by forgetting him, renouncing what he had told them to do. But remember, there's two steps down this descent. The first is to forget, to renounce the Lord. The second is the end of verse 7. And they serve the Baals and the Ashtoreth. 
That word serve there can simply just mean to worship, to be a slave to their desires. Ultimately, these two idols are who they live for. But we have to ask, why would Israel do such a thing? Why would Israel renounce a faithful God and instead replace it with these two idols? Well, Baal and Ashtoreth are fertility gods of the, of the land of Canaan. And ultimately what you do is you build an altar, you do a sacrifice of an animal or grain or whatever that may be. And the result, the direct result is it rains and you don't starve to death. You see, the land of Canaan relies on rain for its production of crops. And so the people of Israel had a very practical solution to their starvation problem. If I just build this altar, kill a goat on it, I don't starve to death. I don't have to trust in some God I can't see to provide the rain he claims to provide to me. I can just, dead goat, rain's gonna come. But it's not just that, it's also you're not going to be barren. You're gonna have sons and daughters, which is an important thing in the ancient world. You need as many hands as you can get. And so ultimately, these idols were very attractive. And they demanded faithfulness, the killing of animals, in return for prosperity, for ultimately their life. And when we think about it, if we stop and think about it long enough, that's the same exact thing we do with idols we create. They promise us things, and they demand from us faithfulness. Our idols of control, of fear of man, of pride, of lust, they promise you'll get good grades if you're just anxious about it, if you think hard enough about it, stay up all night thinking about that, that math equation, you'll know it. You'll know it when you wake up. If you butter up the boss and make yourself look good and give yourself all the acclaim, you'll get a better job, you'll get a promotion, You'll get more respect. Man, that feels good to be respected. You'll have more friends. Man, it feels good to have friends, doesn't it? You'll get what you desire if you sell out on faithfulness, if you willfully renounce what God has commanded for you to do, commanded for you to have as a priority and give your time, your thoughts, your money ultimately your heart to an idol of your own making and go down a path that willfully rejects faithfulness. And what saddens me and hopefully saddens you too is how often we do these two steps. How often in the little moments of our life we reject what God has clearly told us to do and instead put on the sin that these idols demand of us. We know Jesus says if we're angry, it's as if we've killed our brother in Matthew 5, 21 through 23, and yet it's so easy to have that desire we want to do and when people get in the way to be angry and frustrated. Jesus says if we look with lust 
It's as if we've committed adultery in our heart in Matthew 5, 27 through 28, and yet that lust is so enticing. It promises so much pleasure, and so we give in and renounce what God has clearly said is faithfulness. We know Jesus says to forgive others or we will not be forgiven in Matthew 6, 14, and yet it's so easy for us to see that we have the upper hand if someone has wronged us and say, I'm not gonna forgive them. I've I've got the power. I've got the power. I'll hold them at bay, keep them begging for a while so I can get what I want. We know that Paul tells us not to speak words that tear down others, but only words that build them up. And yet it's so easy to say that word to make yourself feel good, to put down that other person so you look better, to be faithful to that idol of fear of man and to put down others in the process. We know Paul tells us to love our wives like Christ loves the church, but it's so easy to want to idolize that rest. To stay home and know that our wives have problems or know that our wives need help and instead choose our own pleasure, our own rest, instead of making sacrifices to help them. And so we choose to willfully reject truths so clear to us in scripture, we have it right here. So that we can serve and be faithful to our idols that promise pleasure, prosperity, and success. So I want you to stop and think for a moment. We all have areas in our lives that are like this. What areas of your life are you focusing on the wrong things, focusing on idols you create. Because when you do that, you willfully reject the faithfulness that God demands. You focus on anything else, you're not being faithful. And some of us might have this mechanism in our own flesh that says, well, I am being faithful. I'm successful. Right? I've, I've, I've achieved success, I have a good job, a big house. And sometimes we twist in our minds what faithfulness really is, and so that's what this whole message is about, because it's so easy to do that, isn't it? So the good news is that if you know areas in your life where this is the case, the blood of Christ can cover those sins. You don't have to be in the path of a willful rejection of faithfulness in those areas any longer. You can be faithful, like the next two paths we're gonna see in this text. And so we've seen a path of a willful rejection of faithfulness and what that looks like. The two steps of a descent into that which renounces God to start and then serves our idols. Let's look at our second point. The perfect example of faithfulness. Remember that title of today's message that faithfulness focuses on God and keep that in your mind. I'm gonna read verses seven through nine and I want you to think in your mind where in these three verses I'm gonna read is God focusing on his own character and exalting his own name. Okay, you ready? 
And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashereth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Kishan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Kishan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel to save them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz. Okay. In this text, God presents eight attributes of his own character. You're saying eight? Well, we'll see them. And in these eight attributes, he paints a picture of a perfect example of faithfulness by showing us two priorities. And I'll, I'll kind of lead with these and we'll come back to them. The first is that faithfulness exemplifies the character of God. And the second is that it exalts the name of God. And so let's look at the attributes. In verse 7, we see the first attribute, God's intimate omnipresence. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You see, God is intimate with his people. He's dwelling among them. He sees their sin. He's not so high and transcendent. He doesn't see them. He sees them. Even their evil can't stop God from seeing them. He is with them. The second attribute is holiness because we know that God can't dwell with sinners. And so verse 8 says, therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled. God is separate from all evil. He cannot be mixed with it. The perfect text to help us understand this is Exodus 15, 11. I'll read it. It says this, Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. That referring to Pharaoh and his chariots. The third attribute is righteousness. Again, in that same text, God has a perfect standard of justice. That perfect standard cannot be violated even by his own covenant people. And so he is faithful to judge them by his righteous standard. The fourth attribute goes along with that and it is jealousy, again, from the same passage. You see, God is zealous to protect that which is his, to bring back to himself that which he has claimed. And Israel is his people, and we as Christians are God's people. In the text to help illustrate both righteousness and jealousy, you probably read it many times. It's in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 24, it says this, You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The fifth attribute is kind of a combination of the holiness and righteousness and jealousy of God, and that is his wrath. Fifth attribute is wrath. That is in the second part of verse 8, 8b. And he, being God, sold them into the hand of Kashan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. This idea of selling is just 
to be given over to. And so God is faithful to uphold his character by judging his people, hopefully with the goal that they would turn and return to him. That same verse has our sixth attribute, and that is mercy. He sold them into the hand of Kashan. You might ask, how is that mercy? Right? They, they're living in the land. They're picking fruit off the vine. They're chilling. How, how is mercy being sold into the hands of a wicked enemy emperor? Well, we don't have to Go anywhere besides Exodus, we'll go back to Exodus again. Exodus 32, 9 through 10, and we'll see what they deserve. Because ultimately, remember, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Exodus 32, 9 says this. After Israel sinned with the uh, golden calf. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a nation out of you. What did Israel deserve for their idol worship, for their willful rejection of faithfulness? They deserved to burn. What did they get? They got being given over to an enemy emperor with the hopes that they would turn from their sin. What mercy. I'm so glad we serve a merciful God. Let's continue on in our perfect example of faithfulness to see our seventh attribute, and that is grace. It's in verse nine. Verse nine says, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. And then they named the deliverer as Othniel. Now that word cried out is not repentance. Later in the book of Judges, there are two distinct terms with one specific group that cries out and repents. They do both. This crying out is merely a desperate cry because of pain. Paul describes this kind of cry. He says that some tears lead to repentance and others do not. This is the kind that does not And so if we remember then that grace is getting what you do not deserve, the people of Israel do not deserve a deliverer. They do not deserve to be free. And yet God sends a deliverer to save them. Aren't we glad we serve a gracious God? And our last attribute is love. And ultimately it's shown through the wrath, the mercy, the grace, Because God is showing his loving kindness to his people even though they don't deserve it. And these eight attributes we've seen, intimate omnipresence, holiness, righteousness, jealousy, wrath, mercy, grace, and love, exemplify a faithfulness that focuses on God. He focuses on himself, his own character and at the same time exalts his name. We can't help but think about the unfaithfulness of Israel and yet the faithfulness of God and think, he is so worthy of worship. His name is so worthy of praise. And so God has shown us 
in these three verses that focusing on his character and exalting his name is faithfulness. So in all the things we've talked about at the beginning and all the things we do in our lives, we must ask the question, am I being faithful? Right, that's the question. Well, where is your focus? Do you prioritize exemplifying God's character and exalting his name in everything you do? Parents, does your sin have free reign in the home? Or do you exemplify godly character? Because if you exemplify godly character, you're being faithful. Do you give reasons for your, your actions or your statements as ultimatums like, because I said so? So easy to do that. Or because God commands us to follow him and exalt his name. Most of us are in the workforce. Do you swim against the current of vulgarity and corruption and selfishness? Or do you join in? Because if you exemplify godly character, you're being faithful. Do you give the reasons for your character and success in the workplace to all your accolades and your education and your experience? Or do you give the reason for your success to God to glorify his name? If you're doing the second, you're being faithful. And so the two priorities of faithfulness we see in this example is that we have to exemplify godly character and we need to exalt God's name. But you might be thinking, okay, Nathan, of course God can be faithful. He is faithfulness. His character is who he is. Of course he's going to be faithful to his own character. Of course he's going to exalt his own name. That is what God does. I'm not God. How can I be faithful? Well, the text has an answer for us. In our third path that demonstrates the focus of faithfulness, and that is an in-practice portrait of faithfulness. Look back with me at the text at verse 9. And I am going to tell us who Kashan Mishathayim is, so we'll get there. We're almost there. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel to save them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Kishon Meshathayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and he prevailed over Kishon Meshathayim. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. There's going to be three events in this portrait of faithfulness I kind of want to walk us through. So we're looking at an in-practice portrait of faithfulness. The first event we see is the opponents are presented. The opponents are presented. Kishan Meshathayim is the first. He's a king of Mesopotamia. 
And if you know anything about Mesopotamia, it's where the Fertile Crescent is. It's a very productive area, very lucrative place to live in the ancient world. It's at the center of international trade from Asia, then through the land of Israel, down into Africa. Ultimately, Kishan Mishathayim is the greatest enemy any judge faces in the book of Judges. The greatest enemy. His name, Rishathayim, means double wickedness. So he's an internationally powerful emperor who is the epitome of double wickedness. That's our first opponent. Our second opponent is Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Now, Caleb is somebody we should probably know who he is, right? Because it keeps coming up. Who is Caleb? Well, if you remember, back in the book of Numbers, there were 12 spies sent into the land of Israel, and only two of them were faithful to bring a good report. One of them was Joshua. The other one was Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. This is that Caleb. And so Othniel is the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. But the important thing to remember about Caleb is He's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. And he's something we call a proselyte. He's someone who was a Gentile, who lived in the land of idols, worshipped idols, was consumed by a culture that worshipped idols, and chose to give all of that up to serve the Lord and to become a part of the nation of Israel. And so Othniel then is the same kind of person. He's a Gentile who's given up idols to serve the Lord. He's a proselyte. That's pretty good. Well, we actually, if we read earlier the first two chapters of Judges, if you were just reading through the book, we know a lot more about Othniel, actually. Judges 1, 11 through 15, turn there, just back two pages or so. Judges 1, 11 through 15 almost repeats verbatim a section of text from the book of Joshua about the conquering of the land of Israel. It says this in Judges 1, 11. From there they, being the tribe of Judah, went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath-Sephir, and Caleb said, he who attacks Kiriath-Sephir and captures it, I will give him Oxen, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, our boy, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Oxa, his daughter, for a wife. Now, this might seem like unimportant details to us, but they are very important details. You might not know what the city of Debir is, but the people of Israel do. Debir is a fortified city in the, land, uh, in the tribe of Judah, which sits on one of the most important north-south routes in the entire land of Israel. It's called the Way of the Patriarchs. And it sat on the center of a plateau with large fortified walls to protect this all-important route. But it not only protected the north-south route, it also protected an east-west route with trade from the desert to the east through the land of Israel to the important port city of Ashkelon. And so when you read this text, you hear that Debir was up to be conquered by someone, you'd be like, shaking in your boots. I don't want to conquer that city. Who wants to conquer that city? Let's go choose some other city, some wimpy city, and knock down the walls and live there. We don't want to live in this fortified city. 
Everybody wants that city. That's the first city that's going to be attacked. Why would I want to live there? That's what everybody's thinking. But Othniel's not thinking that way. He goes right in and conquers the city in accordance with God's command to drive out the inhabitants of the land. He not only is courageous, but he also is faithful to settle in the land of Israel as God commanded. If we keep reading, verse 14, when she, being Aksa, came to him, Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. Seemingly random information, but ultimately what we see there is Othniel was faithful to settle. He didn't just conquer and move on. He stayed in this dangerous city. And last but not least, he obeyed God by taking a faithful wife from the people of Israel. In Judges 3, 6, it says, And their daughters, being Israel, took for themselves wives, and they gave their own daughters away, and they served the gods of the Canaanites. And so Othniel stands apart from everybody in the land of Israel, everybody in the book of Judges, as one who is faithful to follow God's commands and to worship him, as one who's faithful to conquer the land, to settle the land, to marry into a faithful Israelite family, and to marry an Israelite wife. And so Othniel stands alone, exemplifying godliness in the midst of a people who are corrupt and unfaithful. What is that? Well, that's our first priority of faithfulness, is it not? Exemplifying God's character? Check. Othniel fits the bill. Well, let's look at our second priority then, because remember, there's two, not just exemplifying God's character, but also exalting his name. And now that you've heard about these two opponents, what you're expecting is an epic battle with all kinds of juicy details. This guy drove them this way and they conquered them this way and God weighed down hailstones and, and then they got boils and then Othniel chases Kashan Rishathayim down his chariot and kills him and conquers these cities and that's what you're expecting. We've got the courageous, valiant, righteous Othniel against this double, wicked, power-hungry, undoubtedly powerful Kashan Rishathayim. You're expecting this Epic battle. But what you get is the second priority of faithfulness. You get a focus on the exaltation of God. Let's go to our second event in this portrait of faithfulness we're building, and that is Othniel is prepared. That's in verse 10. It says, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The text tells us nothing about Othniel's preparing of his armor, sharpening of his sword, going to the brook to collect some stones, putting out fleece and seeing if God puts down some dew on it, and having guys lap out of streams versus cup with their hands, and none of that. The only preparation that matters, the only preparation that is mentioned is that God's spirit 
was upon him. The Holy Spirit was empowering him to be the judge that God wanted him to be, to be able to deliver his people. Someone with all this prestige, all this background of conquering such a fortified city, you'd think he would be mentioned as having prepared all these things and used the same weapon he used back then, but no, it's all about God and exalting his name. And the last event in this portrait of faithfulness is that Yahweh prevails. The Lord prevails. And that's at the end of 10, verse 10. Othniel judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Kishan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Kishan Rishathaim. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel died. Not very good for an epic story, right? We don't want to read that at night, really. You know, God gave him over, and then he took it, and he died. Your, your kids are going to say, Dad, that's boring. I want to hear juicy details. I want an epic battle that tells us courageous Othniel's deeds. No. What you get is a simple picture of an exalted, great God. And that, PBC Church family, is why you probably don't know Othniel's name. That is why we don't hear his story in Sunday school. He's not cool like Samson or Gideon or even Ehud, the next judge, because we don't hear anything about him because it's not about him. When it comes to the end of it all, there was a faithful man who faded into the background to exalt a faithful God. That is the in-practice portrait of faithfulness. And so how do we know if we are faithful? That's the question we're trying to answer. How does Jill know if she was a faithful mother? How does George know he was a faithful student? How does Jennifer know she was faithful to evangelize? How do you know if you're faithful in what you do? Well, well we've seen three paths that demonstrate the focus of faithfulness, have we not? We've seen one that willfully rejects faithfulness. We've seen the perfect example of faithfulness from God. And lastly, we've seen an in-practice portrait, someone like us who is faithful. And from that, we know that faithfulness focuses on God with two priorities, exemplifying God's character and exalting his name. That is how you are faithful so if there's anything in your life you're doing, ask those two questions. Am I exemplifying God's character? And am I exalting his name in this? Or is it about me? Am I looking like the world to make myself 
look good? Am I being anxious and staying up all night about this big thing that's coming up in my life or my financial insecurity because I'm not prioritizing God's name? I'm instead thinking about what I can do to solve all my problems and be faithful when that's a false picture of faithfulness. Sure, we need to be faithful to work because that's exemplifying God's character, a character of a husband or a wife that serves their family and works to feed their family. That's what we're called to do to exemplify God's character. And it's not about the money. It's about exemplifying God's character. And it's not about looking good in front of others for ourselves. It's about looking good in our character because we want to exalt a faithful God and share the gospel. But I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. Some of you might be very discouraged that you aren't being faithful in certain parts of your life. Faithfulness is not perfection because we can never attain to perfection. Yes, of course, faithfulness, if we were to be perfectly faithful like God, is perfection, but we can never attain to that in this life. And that is why we have a gracious God. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, when you're being unfaithful, you don't have those two priorities. The answer is simple. Confess your sin, put off your sin, and put on faithfulness. Renew your mind. Be conformed to Christ. And when you do that, you're still being faithful. Even though we fail, because we are entrusting ourselves to a faithful God. This is an intricate part of faithfulness in the Christian life. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. But maybe you're here this morning and you realize you've never been faithful. You've never prioritized God's character and exalting his name in anything you've done, ever. It's always been about you. Going to church has always been about you. Going to your job has always been about you. Your character doesn't exemplify God's character. You don't confess your sins. You don't repent. You're like Israel who willfully rejects what you see on the pages of Scripture. It's maybe because you're not saved at all. but it's never too late to put your faith in Christ because the blood of Christ and the grace that God gives us through the gospel is how we get to this standard of faithfulness, growing into being more and more like our Savior until one day we see him face to face. And so if this is you and you've never been faithful, you're just like Israel in all that you do, I'm begging you, Believe in Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice on the cross covers your sins, that he is holy and that you are not. 
Believe that he is God and he rose from the dead and he is victorious over your sin and submit to him as your Lord. That is the only way you can truly be faithful in any way in this life. And so we've seen that faithfulness focuses on God with two priorities. Simplifying God's character and exalting his name. And if you're struggling with faithfulness or you have questions about what the gospel is or about any of this, there'll be some people standing up here in the front who would love to talk with you and to share with you what God has done for sinners and to just be there for you and to pray with you. And it's my hope that we, like Othniel, when life is said and done and we're buried in the ground, on our tombstone, it will say things about God and about his name, not about all the great things that I did, not about all the great things that you did, but about all the great things God did through you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for Othniel, someone so faithful and yet so minimized in what we see and hear about him because we can see through his life and his ministry as a judge what faithfulness looks like, what it looks like to prioritize your character and prioritize exalting your name. Lord, help us to be faithful Help us to dig deep into our lives and find places where we are still holding on to faithfulness to things that are not you. We're still prioritizing the wrong things. God, change us. Change our hearts. Make us more like Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.